Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Triathlete Podcast, the show where we bring to you the personal fitness stories of people around the world. Today, we have a really special guest with us, Niyati. Uh, fun fact about Niyati, she and I were actually classmates in second grade and have known each other since way back when. Uh, I'm super privileged to have her on the show today. Her story is really, really inspiring. Uh, Niyati, thanks for agreeing to be here. And would you like to start by telling us a bit about yourself? Absolutely. So Ram, first of all, thank you for giving me this opportunity to reconnect and to be on your podcast. And yeah, our friendship goes way back. So I'm really glad that we're able to, you know, keep in touch and pick up from where we left off. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, a little bit about myself. My name is Niyati Thamaskar. I grew up in Bombay. That's how Ram and I know each other. Um, I moved to the United States when I was 18 to do my undergrad at Ohio State University. I did my degree in electrical and computer engineering, after which uh, I started working for Caterpillar in Peoria, Illinois. And um, for the past 18 years, I've been working on electronic controls, both in the UK and US. I currently work for Cummins Incorporated, based out of Columbus, Indiana. And my current job title is Director of Power Gen Controls. And I love this title so much because it has the word director, it has power, and it has control. I mean, hands down, the best job title. Um, and then a little bit about me, uh, what, what I like to do outside of work. Um, I really enjoy writing, so I have a blog where I like pen down my thoughts. And I did that just for fun, but uh, I went ahead and published two books. Uh, my first book is called Unafraid, A Survivor's Quest for Human Connection. Uh, it is a memoir. Uh, even though it's self-published, Forbes picked it up as a must-read in 2020. So I'm really proud of that one. And I've done a TEDx talk on the cultural bias and stigma associated with cancer. Um, I'm really proud of that as well. And other than that, I do podcasts, fireside chats. I'm a keynote speaker, a panelist. So I tend to stay pretty active and pretty busy. But the most important part about me is that I've married the most wonderful person in the world, my husband, Nuan Galagay. He's a British Sri Lankan man who has put up with me for 13 and a half years. So this, that's a good sign. I think he's going to stick around. And we are raising two wonderful children. My son, Bihan, is nine, and my daughter, Arani, is six. Gotcha. That's a great introduction, and it's lovely to hear about your family and kind of get a sneak into what we're going to talk about, talk about today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're a show about fitness and trying to be fit, and that's why we call everybody triathletes, anybody who's trying. So what does your fitness routine look like today? I try to go to the gym three to four times a week. The weather has been kind of nice, so I uh, like to run outside um, about three miles or so, so about a 5K um, whenever, you know, the mood strikes, right? Um, and then over the summer, we were... Uh, working very hard at teaching our children to swim. So I ended up getting into the pool um, at least one, once a week with them. So that's kind of been my current fitness journey. Awesome. And if you kind of dial back the clock a little bit to when you were a kid, do you kind of remember when you started focusing on fitness and what kept you motivated? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I learned to swim in 1980s in, in India uh, at the age of three. 
So basically, I have no memory of learning to swim. I just remember swimming. And and that was one of my, my most favorite activities. Having said that, my parents worked really hard at, at exposing us to different sports. Um, I was in uh, tennis, um, tried table tennis, rollerblading, roller skating, all of the above. The thing with tennis, though, and all of my sports, right, I'm not a very strong athlete or a very strong person in terms of muscle. And so, like, I remember when... I was learning to play tennis, you know, when the ball like hits the racket and so the racket propelling the ball the opposite way, it would go in the direction of where the ball is traveling. So I, I was really bad um, at, at sports. And having said that, my husband asked me, you know, what I was doing today. And I said, oh, I'm doing a podcast with my childhood friend. And my husband asked, what's the topic? And he said, I told him it's about being an athlete. And he burst out laughing, Rob. Like his, he didn't say anything. He burst out laughing, but his face said, and they couldn't find anyone better. But th- these, I come from humble beginnings. I'm proud of my humble beginnings. Well, you know what? Um, you know, in the book Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about how you identify yourself, and you know, all it takes is for you to identify yourself as an athlete and a person who tries, and that's what we celebrate over here. It's will over skill. That's what I like to say. And that so happens. that's what, yeah, that's why that's why you're here. Um, so, I'm taking that back to my husband, by the way. Anyways, go ahead. Wonderful. And maybe someday we'll have him on the show, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thanks for sharing your background. And sort of how has that approach kind of changed as you've, you know, grown older? And what keeps you going? So one of the things in the 1980s, 90s, probably 2000s in India, being um, skinny or thin or even petite for that matter was... Um, equated as being weak. And the kids that are chubby, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, just chubby is the only word that I can think of that's appropriate. The kids that are chubby were known as healthy because, you know, and and that stereotype really kind of hurt because um, people make comments that were a little bit callous, like, oh, how come you're so thin? Doesn't your mom feed you anything? Or if the wind blows really hard, Neeti will fly away. And now I look back and None of that matters to me, right? I wouldn't be bothered. But when I was young and impressionable, it really kind of hurt that people thought made nothing of me because of my size. And I've always had a healthy appetite, so food wasn't a problem. I just ran on high metabolism. And so I took all of those hurtful comments and decided... I'm going to change the narrative around and prove to myself, not them, I don't care what people say, but cared enough that I want to prove to myself that I'm not weak. Um, So childhood growing up, um, I took up karate, uh, did it for like eight years, was a purple belt. I could break a brick with my bare fist. I can't do it anymore, but I could. And there's a picture of me from 1990s where my my uncle took that picture of me actually breaking the brick. So that was my way of proving to myself, I am not weak. I am skinny. That's a different thing, right? Um, then as I got older, when I got into Ohio State, my college roommate was one, we were, we were in a room of four girls. So there's one of the roommates was a rugby player. So she was obviously big built, you know, strong bone, uh, heavier person. Um, she made comments like, oh, you're so little, you could never get pregnant. Or if you got pregnant, the the pregnancy would just break you in half. And and it's just really hurtful because like I never turned around and looked at the bigger, heavier set people or her for that matter and said, wow, you're fat. 
Like, I never had that in me. Then why is it that people thought it was okay to say that to me? Uh, when I uh, got married and stuff, people made comments, relatives made comments like, uh, oh, she's never going to be able to breastfeed because she'll never produce enough milk. And and that's just hurtful, right? And breastfeeding is a very personal choice. You should not impose your um, ideals and expectations of what motherhood should be on another, not even a mom yet, not even expected mom, right? on another female, period. And so I took those comments and when I had my two kids decided that I'm not going to give them a drop of formula. I'm going to breastfeed them. Again, proving it to myself, not to any of the naysayers. Um, and that's how kind of I, I got into, I, I want to prove that I'm strong. I might look skinny and little, but I have a big voice and I have big ideas and big goals. Yeah, that's super inspiring. And I think you've touched upon sort of the role of external motivation in, you know, your choices to, you know, further your own fitness journey, right? So how do you kind of stay away from making this an externally motivated thing to making it an internally motivated thing? Oh, that, that one's really simple, actually. It makes me feel better. So like, you know, uh, the, the immediate endorphins and like the, the happiness that you've accomplished something and which can sometimes contrast what you do at work. Because sometimes you're working on a problem for a few years and you still don't have a solution. But then you go to the gym and you, you do a one hour workout, you see a heart rate went up, you see immediate results, you're super happy. So that's the internal motivation. Um, yeah. That one's, yeah. Yeah, that's a great, uh, a great point. I mean, I have myself experienced that as well, where, you know, I might be stuck at something and somehow just changing the setting, making myself sort of sweat it out uh, on, you know, on the road or in the gym kind of just triggers some kind of creative process. And you kind of, you kind of blink and see something that you didn't see before that was maybe obvious. So exactly. think, yeah, yeah. yeah, yep. So that's a, that's a really cool um, sort of point that you made there. Um, so do you actually set goals for yourself in life in terms of fitness or is it more like let it go as it goes and, and don't worry about the results? I wouldn't say um, um, set goals in life, but I, I do have uh, weekly goals. Like if I'm one week, I say I want to hit five days a week at the gym and make sure that I start Sunday right by going to the gym. Right. So those are more of the smaller goals. Um, before children, I did have a couple of goals um, that are that were loftier. Uh, for example, I wanted to do the four day Machu Picchu hike that involved a lot of training, a lot of step training because you're just climbing up uphill so much on steps, right? Um, so a lot of training, and then yeah, I did that four day hike, and it was an incredible experience. I recommend it to any and everyone. Like if if you're in your journey of fitness or you don't think you're there yet, make that goal, go to a new place, see something brand new, um, and you know it, it was really incredible. So mini goals, not very big goals. I mean, climbing Machu Picchu is a pretty big goal. <laughs> so yeah, maybe I can do that someday, but that's awesome. Um, sure. you, you spoke a bit about, you know, before and after pregnancy. So how has pregnancy kind of impacted your outlook for towards fitness? Sure. So um, during pregnancy with the first, um, my firstborn, Vihan, um, I was running outdoors before I got pregnant. And when I got pregnant, I was concerned, you know, what activities are safe, what are not. I had asked my my neighbor, who's also my OB, uh, am I allowed to run? And he gave really sound and simple advice to follow. If you are doing an activity before uh, pregnancy, you can continue it during pregnancy but if you weren't doing something prior to that so your body is not at that fitness level don't decide to just pick up something brand new because that that would be harder um 
So I ran till about the first trimester. And then, you know, sometimes you just have a gut feeling like I don't have a symptom. I don't have, I did nothing hurt. Nothing really happened, but just something didn't feel right. And I was like, I don't think I want to run anymore. I want to find another way to stay fit. And then my favorite activity, which I repeated in pregnancy too, was uh, swimming. Oh, it's the greatest thing to have this massive belly and so much pressure on your back and your knees. And then to go in the water and feel like weightless. Oh, it was so incredible. The only thing is the pool that I used to go to was an indoor pool because based on what time of year it was. Um, and and the life there there's a lifeguard in the pool. I felt so sorry for him because he's like a high school kid, right? And everyone else swimming seems capable of like doing the laps. Whereas like a whale of a person whose belly is bigger than their height is gets in the water and is just like floating. And he's like, she's gonna drown. I'm gonna have two lives in my hand. The poor kid would not take his eyes off of me. I felt so sorry for him. It must have been so stressful. But uh, I repeated swim again when um, uh, Vihan was a uh, year and a half, two, when uh, I was pregnant with Arini. And we used to take him to the uh, parent-toddler uh, swim lessons. So I still had the big belly, but now I had one inside, well, a butt in the oven and one outside that I was taking care of in the pool. And every time, swims when my number one um, pressure relief activity. That's hilarious. Uh, was the lifeguard at the second pool a little more comfortable? <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I didn't even notice him or her because I, I already had Vihan outside and one inside that I, I didn't. Yeah, didn't that's awesome. So, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned going swimming when you're pregnant, and you know, uh, going to the gym can be quite intimidating for people who are not that fit to begin with, or feel like you know their body is different from what they expect it to be. So did that ever sort of come up as a concern in your mind about feeling awkward in public or anything of that nature? Sure. So with swim, uh, while pregnant, I didn't really care. I think it bothered some of my family. Not Nuan. He doesn't care, uh, you know, if I go to the pool or, you know, if I'm wearing a bathing suit or not. But some of my family back home were like, so is your belly showing? Like, what, what kind of a bathing suit do you wear? And I'm like, you know, this is my God-given body and I'm carrying a life inside me. So if a bit of belly shows, well, so be it. You know, they'll get over it. And no one in the U.S. cares, right? Like if a pregnant woman's swimming, they're not they're not staring at your belly other than the lifeguard who's like, she's going to drown. I'm so worried for my job. Um, so that, that part bothered other people, didn't bother me. The only other time where I was self-conscious was um, after finishing seven cycles of chemotherapy, when I had rejoined the gym again, um, I was still bald. Um, and I, I had started getting used to not having hair, but, you know, I was still bald and um, I had gained weight. Now, you know, that's counterintuitive because people think if you're going through chemo or cancer, you lose weight. It just depends on what kind of treatment you're going through. The kind that I was going through, they were giving me a ton of steroids. And so I had all this water retention. I had a hunchback and a moon face. And it's a thing. It's a phenomenon that occurs due to steroids. So I had this round face. I was bald. I had this massive hunchback that you could see. And it's all water retention. And I had gained... uh 20% of my body weight from all of the steroids and, and you know, just getting over the, the treatment that I felt really conscious because when I'd get ready to go to the gym, the person that stared back at me, who judged me the most, was the one in the mirror. Because when I saw in the mirror, it was 
a bald white guy looking at me. And the reason I say white, I am being specific white because uh, I was anemic and had lost so much color in my, in my tone that I looked like a bald white guy, hunchback, you know, big, big round face staring back at me. And that was the hardest. And I think if you dig deep down, unless you're supremely self-confident, I think we are our worst judges, right? At least for me, I am the hardest on myself. No one else could be harder on me than me. And I think a lot of people have that in common. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I think thanks for sharing, you know, such a deeply personal story. Um, at the end of the day, what we think matters and the reason we started this podcast was that it's important for people to sort of overcome their fear, overcome their uh, sort of laziness and overcome whatever challenges life is throwing at them and show up, right? I think showing up is more important than giving up. And it doesn't matter how good, bad, or ugly the workout is or the or the effort is. I think the effort is what matters. And so that's why, you know, being a triathlete is all about trying uh, and nothing else. Um, so now that you have two beautiful kids in the world, uh, how has that sort of impacted your own personal fitness journey? And is that something you actively motivate your kids about? Absolutely. Um, we want to expose them to different sports so we can figure out where is their passion and where they're willing to do the hard work to get better. So, you know, we've tried cross country. We love soccer. Um, I find it really important uh, to have a team activity so everything can't be like an individual sport. I want them to know what it's like to win as a team, to lose as a team, and to depend on each other to do well as a team. And so soccer has been phenomenal for both kids for that. Um and then the other thing is, while I want them to try all the sports and it's important to expose them to things, um, there is a non-negotiable. And the non-negotiable, going back to our conversation about swim, it's swim, right? That is a life skill. That is not something I'm willing to give up on. Um, they don't have to be Olympic level champions, but they have to be able to safely get in a body of water, stay afloat, get out of the body of water. And I want them to be confident enough to swim in open water, which can be pretty difficult and challenging, but at the same time have a healthy respect and healthy fear of water. Because if it's a natural body of water, unless you have all of the information about how deep is it, are there rocks, are there riptides, unless you have all that information, it is not safe. That That's all. I mean, bottom line is not safe. If you had all that information, it still wouldn't be safe unless you had someone on a kayak, like right there by you for if you cramp or if a jellyfish stings you or what have you, right? So I want them to have all the confidence in, in swim and be really good at it, but to have that very deep understanding, respect, slight fear of water before they jump into anything. Interesting. It's funny that you mentioned jellyfish because I've recently started open water swimming and, you know, I've gone to some meetup groups that do swimming in, in and around sure. Seattle. And one of the groups actually does it year round and they go to the, you know, the, the beach nearby where there's actually jellyfish in the water. And I, the first time I went with them, I was like, are we even supposed to be swimming here? I mean, there's jellyfish here. And they're like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. If the jellyfish sting you, you just don't panic, come out. And, you know, there's some basic remedies that you can do and get done with it. And I was just like, okay, that's a little too extreme for me. I'll probably graduate to that level at some, some point. I'm not in life. there. I'm, I'm not, not there. there. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's, there's a ton of wildness or wilderness out there to sort of challenge yourself. Um, does nutrition play a big role in your sort of life as well? Um, yes, but 
Before we get to nutrition, as in what is good for your body, uh, food plays a massive role in my life. It yep. is so, it's, it's actually kind of pathetic because like you think like you evolve, you get older and like, you know, you're, you're more enlightened. At least that's what I thought I'd be. Um, but no, I, I wake up thinking about food and I have a funny food incident to tell you that happened at work today. So it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and we're celebrating by having empanadas, uh, vegetarian chicken and beef at, at work for just like an afternoon snack. So we take get the empanadas. I'm setting two um, guys come join me. I don't know them. They introduce themselves to me, and um, they're they're definitely younger than I am, right? And so we're eating the empanadas, and and I was like, yeah, I was like one of the first people in line because I was so hungry, and I wake up thinking about food, and then I said, and it doesn't help that. Um, my Instagram, I follow a bunch of food Instagram posting uh, pages, right? So like that doesn't help. And to which um, this this guy, let's call him Bob, who's known me all of a minute and a half, says to me, I am really proud of you for having an Instagram page. And I'm like, no, he did no. So I'm like, care to explain what part of that makes you feel proud of me? And he's like, because I don't know any 40-year-olds that have Instagram. And I'm like, wow. I was like, okay, Bob, congratulations on your last day at Cummins. May I walk you out the door, please? Oh, my Does God. Does he apologize? No, he keeps digging a hole as to how cool it is that I have Instagram. I'm like, no, you can't, you can't do that. That's an ageist comment. And so food, clearly, at work, at home, plays a big role. And then how this spills into my family, and I'll get to nutrition, is like for me, it's really important for my children to a, a um, like um, spicy food, Indian food, ethnic food. So in general, not just Indian, Indian Sri Lankan, Vietnamese, Thai, um, you know, Brazilian, Italian, uh, to, to have, um, understand that food and, and enjoy it the way it's meant to be cooked as authentic as possible, depending on where you are. Um, I want them to have like this eclectic palate, which isn't just pizza and burger, right? It has to be more than that. And I feel like once you've introduced flavors to your kids, um, you can always go back to a boring pizza, but their taste buds have now been activated. So they'll seek out different foods. So a lot of the part of you know, when we travel, my biggest thing is, you know, we're going to try all the local cuisine, right? It's not going to be McDonald's, it's not going to be chain restaurants, right? And and really kind of expose them to different cuisines. I think that's like such a rich part of culture. Um, and now having said that, um, I want to also tell you, I've won an award for my cooking. Wow. That is yeah. not something so I knew I about. Was, I was, it's, it's phenomenal. I was titled the world's best cooker by my daughter. <laughs> and I could tell her it's a chef, but why ruin that moment, right? Of I'm course. the world's best cooker. She made a little card and like it's like a certificate, and my name is Amma because you know it's not Niyati, right? Amma is the world's best cooker. I'm like, that's right. I am the world's best cooker. Now, wow. having established that, um, I am uh, fairly conscious of nutrition what i strive to do and it's a simple thing as opposed to like counting your micro and macronutrients which is one way of making sure you eat healthy food i um make sure i have as much color as possible on my plate i think if you're not going to get into the nitty-gritties of what i'm getting out of a tomato versus a carrot versus chicken if you just make a colorful plate you'll get a little bit of everything and that's like an easy way a hack 
if you don't have the time and energy or the app when you have a couple kids running around to kind of see did I check all the boxes right um I uh, don't follow any fads or diets. Uh, it's never been a thing for me. Food is way too important for me to give up. And having said that, I we are rice eaters. We do eat rice, um, you know, which is carbs. I know, and some people might think, car, car, you know, we shouldn't eat as many carbs. But um, we tend to, you know, stay healthy and satisfied. And because I try to have all of the colors and then different cuisines, uh, you know, for example, growing up, broccoli wasn't a thing, right? So, like, broccoli isn't in a lot of my Indian um, recipes. And, and people do make broccoli now. I'm talking about way back when. So, uh, we make sure, like, there's a, there's a Vietnamese place here that is a really nice broccoli teriyaki. So, I make sure I order that. So, even if I'm not making it at home or I don't make it all the time, there's a way of introducing a food that I'm not eating on a daily basis, right? And so, that's how I balance the nutrition. I don't worry about every single detail unless... There's some blood work and I'm deficient in something. I just try to have a little bit of everything, which includes like, you know, cheese. And I know a lot of people think cheese is not good. Um, and I think you need to do what's right for your body type, your needs, and what goal you're trying to accomplish, right? So some people, maybe uh, they're over, overweight and they're following the paleo diet. That's that's on you, right? Just because I can't diet because I love food too much. Some people live or eat to live, I live to eat. Um, but but so but if the paleo is your call and and is helping you lose weight and get to your goal, you do you, right? For me, I need to have a little bit of everything. We don't do diets, we're not giving up rice. We're gonna make it as colorful as possible and try as many different cuisines to get in um the different like carbs or proteins or nutrients that you wouldn't if you just ate Indian food every day or American food or you know fast food every day. That's how I balance it. Awesome. So pro tip, guys, from the world's best cooker, try to maximize the color on your plate if you're too bored of looking at nutrition charts and trying to figure out uh, how to count your nutrition. Color is a good way to go. So thank you for that. Um, so, you know, you've talked about your family and, you know, your kids are beautiful. I've seen some pictures of them. Uh, how do you kind of prioritize, you know, your routine versus their routine and your husband's routine? And sort of where do you draw the balance there? So right now, in terms of fitness, my husband uh, runs a half marathon um, every year, and he's done 13 so far. And that's his, his, he's a weekend warrior. He mostly runs on Saturday. Every once in a while, if he's training for something else, he'll get a weekday run in. Um, so that's him. You know about me trying to do swim and uh, gym three to four times a week, try and do about five works, workouts a week. Um and then you know what our kids are into. So if you are learning to swim and, you know, playing soccer, cross country, things like that. If you took, uh, you know, in terms of priority, the number one priority of this household is kids swim. Because that's a life skill. They're, they're both getting very good at it, but they're not there yet. Um, I'm really proud of my son. He made it to the local uh, East High School swim team. It's called Club Olympia. And like he's swimming five days a week, uh, an hour and a half combination of uh, dry land and, and being in the water. So like he's doing really well. But the time commitment that is, I mean, my goals and my husband's goal have to take a second seat to that. Um, having said that, after the kids 
swim being priority number one. Priority number two is my husband's running. Uh, he's part of the running club. It's his, you know, one social thing that he does. Like, unlike me, I'm doing podcasts. I'm a keynote speaker. I'm like, you know, social butterfly. His one thing is Saturday morning runs followed by coffee. And he's a bit of a, um, a reserved person, not necessarily an introvert, but reserved. He wouldn't just go out and make, you know, friends or new friends or strike up a conversation. Um, but like one time I went to the coffee place where they were having coffee after run. And, and I noticed like in the running club, Nuan is the one who's coming up with all the topics to discuss. He's the social, he's cracking the jokes. Everyone's like sitting around him. And like, that's where he flourishes. So like, I wouldn't want to take that away from him. So I think kids swim, Nuan's run. And then third, whatever I can fit in, you know, in a week. But but it works out okay for us as a family. And we're not competing with each other's priorities. And the time commitment to run isn't as big because he's only weekend warrior running, right? And so, yeah, if we can get our kids comfortably swimming, we might, you know, have new ones run one and then maybe mine and the kids as like a, a tie for second place. But we're not there yet. We're just um, really excited that behind us to be in the swim club. Hopefully Arnie will qualify. And, and something, a shout out to this club, it's called Club Olympia. We live in a small town called Columbus, Indiana, and the head coach of Club Olympia uh, represented the United States in Montreal in 1976. I mean, that's wow. really cool. Yeah. You're so in high company. Us, exactly. For us to have access to an Olympic level champion is incredible. And, and I can say, safely speak on behalf of the coaches, the swimmers, and the parents. We're both very proud to be associated with her. Um, and also a little bit intimidating. I'm not going to lie. She can be intimidating. But it's really yeah, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it looks like you found like a really nice sort of harmony, if you will, between, you know, your kids' schedules, your husband's schedule and your own. It's fantastic <laughs> that you've been able to achieve that. And, you know, kudos to you guys to, to being able to balance it all out. I mean, Thanks. you know, these kind of challenges kind of affect everybody. And so what's your, I don't know, two cents of advice to anybody sort of in a similar situation who might be kind of trying to seek out what's the ideal plan for themselves yeah i think um the simple thing is show up um and that's how for me that's not even half that's three quarters of the battle one the reason i say that is say i'm feeling lazy or vihan is getting tired from swimming constantly um he he protested yesterday saying i don't want to go to swim right um I was feeling lazy, didn't feel like going to the gym this morning because I had this podcast and things going on at work. Um, but I said, no, let me just show up. Once you show up, you'll be amazed at how much capacity you have and how much you're willing to push yourself to do even better than before. And, and, and you know, come back, you know, happy after that because you tried. If, if you have that doubt and you don't show up, then no, no one can help you, right? So even yesterday when Bihan said he didn't want to go to swim, I said, how about this? How about we go to the pool, you do dry land, and if you don't want to stay for the swim portion of it because the water is a little bit cold, then I'll bring you home. And he agreed to that. And guess what? You know, peer pressure. The minute he was there, he saw all his friends. He forgot all about the protest. So you got to show up. That's the simplest thing you can do. The rest will take care of itself. Awesome. Yep. You know, and I'm in my own journey, I think showing up was the motto I started the year with. And, you know, after you show up for many days in a row, you kind of build up an ego of it saying, I don't want to break my streak. I mean, I show up every day. So it kind of becomes a game with yourself and you just want to keep doing it. So great, great advice there. 
love the fact that you use the same words that we're trying to promote here. So to all our listeners out there, look, the game is simple. You just got to show up every day, and that's what makes you a triathlete. You're just trying to be an athlete. So thanks a ton, Niyati. I think this was a great, great conversation. Uh, love how frank and open you were, and I'm sure all our viewers will or listeners will also like it too. Uh, so yeah, see you around the corner, and hopefully we'll meet soon. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Ram. We must connect soon again. Absolutely. Yep. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.